0: excited about being back in the book of Romans today. Um, I hope you have your Bibles with you. I hope you're ready to, uh, to just grow in your faith and grow in your understanding um, of what Jesus has done for you. This is what we're really, really passionate about as a church. It's what I love speaking about more than anything else. Don't get me going on the gospel because you're going to need some time to hear me out uh, when I start talking about Jesus and, and everything that he has done for us. And as a church, we really are all about Jesus. It's really always, is going to be all about Jesus. We want you to know who Jesus is. We want you to know what Jesus has done for you. We want you to understand your identity in Christ and how that changes everything about your life. We want you to know what the grace of God really is. I believe that there is no greater need in Christianity today than to genuinely understand what the grace of God is, because it's our freedom, it's our victory, it's 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 everything. It's the life that God has given us. It's His presence. It's Jesus Himself, available to us and at work in our lives. And um, so we are. We have done. We started the series. If you're visiting with us, we started earlier in the year in the series in the book of Romans. As Will mentioned earlier, um, all of our messages currently, there's a playlist up on soundcloud.com um, and you can just search Anchor Jobic and you can go and catch up with where we're at in the series um, on the book of Romans. We've done the first six chapters already um, and so today we continue in that um, as we as we... As we do as a church, we love to work through books of the Bible. Um, Every year that we've existed, um, we've worked through a book of the Bible. We started out in the book of Acts, and we went on to the book of John. And this year, we're working through the book of Romans. And um, just an incredible thing. And we just love God's Word. We love the Bible. And I really want to encourage you to go and get yourself, if you don't have one, go and get yourself a physical Bible. This one that I'm holding here. I've had for so many years and I've marked it up so much that I don't use it much anymore because I'm struggling to distinguish the words of God and all the things I've, between all the things I've scribbled in there, right? So I have, I've marked so much in this Bible, there's just like, and I used colored pens, it was a phase, but... Um, it was a Christian phase. A lot of people did it. But I've got so much writing in here and so much underlined. You know when the Bible's just so good that you're like, why am I underlining? Because I'm underlining everything. I could have just left it blank and just read it, right? So there's so much that I've written down in here. And, um, and I want to encourage you to get a Bible, to get a notebook, to become a student, to become somebody who, who genuinely gets in to God's word, that genuinely allows God's word to inform your life, to, to speak to you about the truth um, about, of what Jesus has done. Because we believe that the Bible isn't just a book that was written by someone that had a few good ideas about how to live a better life. That's not what the Bible is about. This is a miraculous expression of the heart of God. This is a book that was written by more than 40 authors across the span of a thousand years in three different languages. This is a book that, that if, you, if you look at the congruency of it, if you look at how it's been woven together, you can understand that it's truly inspired. It's truly the word of God and it's truly able to, to bring something about in our lives. So th- this isn't just a book about how to live. This is a book about how to come alive. This is a book that tells us how we get to be alive. And a lot of people don't see the Bible in that way, they, they, they begin to see it just as a book of rules or, or a book that gives good advice or that tells us how we're supposed to live, but it's actually expressing so much deeper. The gospel and the account of what Jesus has done for us, it expresses something so much deeper than just stuff that we should do and stuff that we shouldn't do. Right? Too many people call this book a manual for life or, or a roadmap or, um, you know, instruction manual. Please don't ever call the Bible an instruction manual because it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's an, it's an expression through, through historical accounts, through poetry, through personal letters. It's an expression of the heart of God. It gives voice to the truth of who He is and about the great love that He has for us about the, the, everything that he has done to save us. And what I love about the Bible is that it's so real. It's so raw. It's so honest. And it's the best news that you'll ever hear. You read this, you really begin to understand it. It's the best thing that you'll ever hear. And, and all of it, all of it as it's woven together through all of the ages, culminates in the full expression of the gospel. The word gospel just means good news. The full expression of what it is that God had been planning and preparing for us before the foundation of the world. Knowing that we would fall into sin, knowing that we would miss the mark, knowing that we as a human race would need redemption. God set about this great narrative of redemption. The way in which God would save sinners like us because of his great love. And that all comes to fruition in the book of Romans as Paul lays out in this incredible letter to the church in Rome, he lays out the heart of God and how it is that God saved us. And we, we understand that. When we understand that, it changes everything about how we relate to God. We said that the book of Romans, this changes everything. This changes everything about you relate to Him. It changes everything about how you walk with Him. It changes everything about how you live your Christian life and how you read the Bible and how you, you come to know the goodness of God. It comes down to how we're made right with God, how we're able to walk with Him. And all of this is expressed in the book of Romans. And, um, and it's, it's really, really sad to me that, that this is not always the way that people see Christianity. People often see Christianity the same way that they see all religions, which is, okay, this is stuff I'm supposed to do. Right? How many of you have ever seen Christianity that way? Some people don't even read their Bible because they're like, I know it's just gonna tell me about stuff that I'm supposed to do. And I already know that I'm not gonna be able to do those things, right? Sometimes I also shy away from from those kinds of responsibilities. I'm like, once I know I'm gonna be held hostage by my newfound knowledge, and I'm gonna know I'm supposed to do those things, and I don't wanna do those things, so I'll just avoid it altogether, right? We do that as people. I'm not going to come to church because when I come to church, they're going to tell me stuff that I know I already need to be doing and I know that I'm not doing them. So I'm not going to go there and let them tell me that I'm supposed to be doing it so that I can feel bad about myself all week for not doing it. And so people avoid church and they avoid Christianity and they avoid the Bible because they say, I don't want this to become another whip with which I'm going to beat myself up with, right? And that's how a lot of people experience the Bible. Knowing the things that we're supposed to do doesn't give us the power to actually do them. You see, the problem is, is that we are sold under sin as as earthly people. We were all born into the sin. And so we need something far greater. And that's what the Bible is actually trying to express, that this is not just trying to tell you how to be better. It's not just trying to tell you to try harder to be better. The Bible does have some great thoughts. And how we should all be living. But it never separates that from the defining factor in all of Christianity and all of the Bible, which is the grace of God through Jesus himself. It never separates it. It never calls us to do something without giving us the grace to be able to do it. Otherwise, God is simply condemning us outright. If I ask somebody to do something that I know they cannot do, I am dooming them to failure. I'm dooming them to failure. This week I was driving with Eli in the car, coming home from school and he asked me, Dad, what is the importance of history? I don't know why he asks me questions like that. But he asked me, what is the importance of history? And so I said to him, boy, the importance of history is that we need to know the past, otherwise we would be doomed to repeat our mistakes in the future. So it's important to know history. And so he thinks for a while and he says, Dad, what does doomed mean? And so I, Sometimes, I don't know if you, if you ever do this, when people, when people ask you stuff and you quickly Google it and then you give this answer as if you knew it all along. So I quickly Googled, like what is the right way to explain doomed? And, um, and so it, I, I read up the word doomed and it says inescapable. Inescapable from a negative consequence. And so if God asks us to do things that we already know we don't have the ability to do, he is giving us an inescapable consequence of failure. And that's what we sign up for when we sign up for this book as a to-do list or as a checklist. We're dooming ourselves for condemnation and failure and disappointment because we cannot fulfill any part of it without the grace of God in our lives. Trying to live a God kind of life without the grace of God is literally like trying to fly without wings. You can dream about it, you can think about it, you can plan it, you can have R. Kelly's song looping on your iPod, but if you jump off of a building, It's going to take you the few seconds before you hit the pavement to realize that all of that stuff, all of the dreaming and hoping and motivation, won't get you there. You cannot fly without wings, and your belief in your own ability will vanish in seconds. And so, again, the Bible isn't just trying to tell you what to do, it's trying to tell you to stop trying to do it in your own strength and to put your trust in the only one who can change you from the inside out. We need to be changed. We need a higher power, we need a miraculous work, we need a supernatural touch, we need the work of the Holy Spirit, we need the presence of God to change us from the inside and cause us to become what we could never have been in our own strength. It's the only way. It's the only way we can start to fulfill God's calling on our lives. Isaiah 40 verse 31, many of you know the scripture well but it says, but they who wait for the Lord. Now that word wait means to trust in, it means to hope in, it means to put your faith in. Those who trust in the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up on wings like eagles. If you want to fly, the only way that you're going to do it is by putting your trust in the Lord, by putting your faith in God for your own life and your own journey. It's so critical that we understand this. And so that is what Paul is really saying in the book of Romans. He's saying, put your faith in Jesus. Fix your eyes in Jesus, not in your own ability to be good enough. When we ended uh, the last time we spoke on the book of Romans in Romans chapter number six, for those of you um, that were here that day, we spoke about sin. We spoke about how having been completely uh, lost to sin in, in our rebellious ways and having fallen short of the glory of God, how God's grace stepped in and redeemed us from that. And so what do we say about sin today? What, what is our approach to sin? And we spoke about how grace is ultimately what has defeated sin. Grace is the strongest weapon that we have against sinfulness in our own lives. We said that the word sin means to miss the mark. It's a term that comes out of archery which means simply to miss the mark, to fall short. And all of us, Romans declares, have fallen short of the mark. All of us have missed it. None of us have hit the target. None of us are able to do or to live in the way that God actually created us to live in our own strength. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're all in the same boat today in terms of our need for the grace of God. There's no one here who needs God's grace more than the other or less than the other. We are all equal before him, guilty before him, desperately in need of his grace, every single one of us. And that's why, that's why there is humility in faith. There is humility in the gospel. You know what Pharisees are? Pharisees are people that, that, that uh, want grace for their own sins while monitoring the sins of others, right? People who monitor the sins of others, but when it comes to their own sin, they're like, well, I'm forgiven. And so many Christians do that. It's a sign of self-righteousness. It's a sign that we haven't yet come to understand the gospel in its fullness. And so all of us are in this need for, for grace in the same boat because all of us have acted in ways that we know is wrong. And so Paul goes on to talk about how God's grace sets us free from the power of sin. And he says something really interesting, which I thought I would just read today before we go into Romans 7. In Romans six fourteen, he says, For sin will have no dominion over you. That word dominion is a bit of an old school word, but it means to reign over or to rule over or to to be in charge of, to be king over. Sin will not rule over you. It will not have rulership over you as a Christian, as a believer. But listen to why he says it. He says, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will not be able to have rulership over your life because you're not under the law, you're under grace. It's such, we, we can just skip over that and go, okay, well, whatever that means. But, but think about what he's saying here. There's a simple equation that comes out of Romans 6.14 which says that under the law, sin will rule over you. But under grace, you're free from the rulership of sin. You live under the law, you're gonna be ruled by sin. You live under grace, you're gonna be free from sin. Very clearly says that in scripture. So we're no longer slaves, we're no longer under the dominion or the rulership of sin because we're under grace and not under the law. And this is an idea that Paul kind of establishes at the end of Romans six, and then when he goes into Romans seven, he really does take the law head on in terms of how we as Christians are supposed to relate to the idea of the law. And it's a critical, once again, for us to understand. And, um, and so he essentially says in Romans 7, which we're going to look at today, that we are released from the law. We are released from the law. The Old Testament, for those of you that don't know, what, what is the law? You're talking about like I can speed because if I get pulled over, then, you know, that's, um, that's amazing. There have been so many cops out on the roads. I don't know if you've noticed um, these last few we- days and weeks, there's just been like cops everywhere. I've been pulled over. I was driving to touch rugby the other day. I got pulled over and breathalyzed. And, um, you know, it's always great when you know that you're, you're good, you know. So you're like, breathalyze me, baby, breathalyze me. I'm good. Um, so. There's such confidence when you know that you're right with God. Um, so anyway, so what are we talking about when we talk about the law? What are we talking about when we talk about the law? We're not just talking about the law of the government or the law of our state. We're talking about the, real, the rules and the regulations and the commandments that were given to the people of God in the Old Testament. They were given to the people of God, and Romans tells us this, to reveal the sinfulness of man by us trying very hard to be good and then failing, God going, right, so do you understand that you need a savior? That's why the law was given. But even Christians today say, well, no, 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 no. Now, wait a minute. We're supposed to still try to keep the law and read the law and try and apply the law. And there is a sense in which that is possibly true, but you can so easily mess it up. You can so easily get caught up in that idea and end up with something that relies more on your ability to obey God than Jesus' ability to Uh, or or what the finished work of Jesus is in your life. And so we're gonna look at that. And so, but when we talk about the law, we're talking about Old Testament rules and regulations that people gave, uh, that, that God gave to the people of the Old Testament to live by. It's this written code, it's a written code. It's actually physically written down 613 laws, right? You can't even remember them all, Never mind keep them all. 613 laws, a written code by which to live. And many Christians live this way trying to obey it and then end up having to lie about how bad they're failing at it, right? If we're just honest for a moment, I like to be an honest since we're in church and all, um, just be honest for a moment. Like if, if we like, we live by the law. Okay, how well is that going? No, it's going great. You know, it's like you know that you're lying. You know that you're lying. You might be good at one of those laws, but failing at all the rest. So anyway, so Paul's gonna tackle this idea head on and, and um, you know, this is a radical message. The gospel is a radical message. You may be mad at me right now and I haven't even started my message yet. Just like they were mad at Paul and just like they were mad at Jesus, he got crucified for this message. The message that you don't have to be made right with God on your own strength or in your own works, but that by grace God has made you right through the free gift of Jesus Christ. That's a radical message. If some of you are picking up stones this morning in your mind and hurling them at me, I'm in good company here, right? If we preach the gospel correctly, people always get mad. And Paul takes this head on, and I just wanna show you what scripture says. That's my, that's my role, It's my job. Romans seven, verse one to six, let's, let's read this. Paul starts off Romans seven, talking about being released from the law, and he starts off by showing an analogy around the concept of marriage. And Romans seven, verse one says, or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law. Everybody say this. Say, released from the law. But now we are released from the law Having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, capital S, and not in the old way of the written code. There's a new way to serve God. There's a new way to walk with Him. There's a new way to obey and honor all that he calls us to do, and it's not by a written code. And that's what Paul goes into here in Romans 7. He's revealing the righteousness of God in our lives and how it leads us into the fullness of the life that God has for us. I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us this morning, and we're gonna just get stuck into Romans 7 a little bit. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that today we can learn that there is a new way, a new and a living way we thank you, God, that you are the one who was raised from the dead, and thereby we know that you are alive today, that we have a relationship with someone who is real, with someone who is, who is available to us, somebody who is at work within us. We thank you, God, Father, that, that you know, you discern the intents of our hearts, you know our failings, you know our, our thoughts, you know our misgivings, Lord God, and we know, Lord God, that you are available to help us in each of those areas. We thank you, God, that we are released from the power of sin, We are released from the effect of the law on our lives and we are able to wholeheartedly serve you this morning. Thank you, God, that because of that, we are all free to hear your voice. We are all free to be changed by your spirit. No one's excluded today as long as we put our faith in what you've done for us on the cross. We just give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the effect that it is having on the inside of us. We thank you for truth and peace on each of us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So, yeah, um, I don't know if if you if you're living under the law, I don't know if you've ever just felt very judged by people. Have ever, any of you ever like walked into an area? Uh, you walk into a restaurant. Sometimes it's happening. You walk into a restaurant, people just kind of look at you. The first thing I do is just I just check, and make sure that I've actually closed my zip because that's happened. You know when, you know when, a friend says to you, "Hey man, you're flying." And you're like, "I'm not falling for that one." And like twenty minutes later, you're like, "Oh my gosh, he was telling the truth." You know, and it's and you just you just kind of, it's easy to feel judged. It's easy to feel like like people are, are, are assessing you in every situation, even though in most cases nobody really even cares. But sometimes we can feel very self-aware and very judged. And, and I had a situation this week where I went to buy some clothes for the boys, and uh, I popped into a store that um, had some shirts that I wanted to look at for myself, and I went in there. And while I was in there, um, I was... You know they didn't have a lot of, of shirts because it's you know I was looking for some short sleeve and it's 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 basically still winter. Um, so there was a couple like at the back and I looked over this one shelf to see if I could find the color that I wanted and and as I did that I accidentally bumped over this little. Flower thing that they had put up on there, and uh, it was like a plastic flower in, in a very light little bag, so it fell over very easily. Um, and I was like, no problem, I'll just put it back up. But then it didn't want to stay up; it kept falling over. So, you know, I'm kind of trying to put this plant up, and it's falling down. I put it up; it's falling down. I'm like, no problem, like I got this. Like it's falling down. I was like, oh, you know, I've I've got three kids; I've done harder things. I can put this plant up. I can do this, you know, like, like I've started a church. I can get this. But this plant just keeps falling over, and 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 I can feel this like sales attendant just standing there. There's this guy just standing there, just. Watching me the entire time. I'm like, "Bud, can you come and help me over here? This is really difficult. And he's just judging me and I'm feeling the pressure. I'm getting a little bit sweaty. I'm like, this plant won't stay up. And I'm, you know, I feel bad about just leaving it because I bumped it over. So, so I'm like trying to get this plant up. I'm trying to get it up and keeps falling over. And I'm like, who is this guy? He, he doesn't even come over to help. He doesn't say anything. He just stands there quietly judging me. And eventually I just get like super confident. I just plonk it down and I walk away, I'm like, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I walk away, um, and uh, I'm like, I'm a little bit irritated by the sales attendant who just stood there watching me the whole time. And I walk around, and I realize it was a mannequin, okay? So it wasn't even a real person just judging me the entire time. I'm like, I'm getting the blonde ready, I can't get it. I'm sorry, okay? And it turns out it was just a mannequin directly facing me the entire time, well-dressed, well-dressed, but um, wasn't a real person. And that is how the law can begin to function in our lives, where we begin to feel this pressure of trying to get things right, trying to make sure that we're always living this right, and we feel like there's this quiet figure that's always judging us, like we're never quite good enough and we have this genuine sense of condemnation. This is a real thing where we live our lives going, even though I wanna live for God, even though I wanna pursue the things of God, even though I wanna be passionate in worship and passionate in life and and I wanna wanna do things that I know are beyond me and I wanna step out in faith, I feel quietly judged by this figure all of the time. Any of you ever experienced that? It messes with your mind. It messes with your thinking. We went out as a group yesterday um, and played golf. We have a golf group, um, here at Anchor Church, and a whole bunch of us went out yesterday to Copperleaf leaf to play around a golf, and, um, and, and at one point, um, Ramon, and Ramon is our bassist here, he's a great bassist, but he's an even better golfer, he is an incredible golfer, I think he's a scratch golfer, or somewhere close at least, and um, I love playing golf with Ramon because it's like inspiration for my own golf, like, although I do get discouraged when I watch his videos and I watch my videos, and he's like got this perfect swing, and mine looks like, I don't know, a dying chicken or something, that just, it's not, when you compare them, it's horrible, but Ramon was playing this great round of golf yesterday, and uh, then one of the guys in his, and he got a new driver, and one of the guys in his four ball said to him, hey, you know, I love those new drivers, great new driver, but the only thing about it is that it's a little bit uneven at the bottom. And someone's like, oh, it's not uneven. And he turns it around and says, you see how it's just a little bit uneven here? And so all of a sudden now he has this knowledge that he wish he didn't have. And he's like, that doesn't bother me. I don't use, it doesn't have to be flat. It just, it's fine that it's uneven. But then he stands over his ball and all he can think about is the fact that it's uneven. And so for about three or four holes after that, he couldn't hit the ball straight anymore because he knows that it's uneven, right? And in the same way, Sometimes when we get knowledge of the law and what we're supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like, we recognize that in our own souls, in our own selves, we're uneven. We we don't have this thing figured out. And so all of a sudden, our confidence is just eroded in a moment. How are we supposed to walk in a straight line with God if we know how broken we are? If we know how uneven we are in our own souls? And this is what the law does. It robs us of our confidence before God. The law is there to point out to us the truth about what's right and what's wrong. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is true. It it shows us the standard of holiness. And it's a good thing, except that when we try to adjust our lives accordingly, we realize that we don't have that ability, that we've been uneven all along, that we don't have the strength to live the life that God has called us to live. And more than that, what it does is, because we now know what's right, and we don't find the ability to do what's right, we are declared absolutely guilty before God. Absolutely guilty. Because we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do the things that we're supposed to do. How many of you have promised yourself that you would never do something ever again, only to do it like 15 minutes later again, and then to make another promise, and another promise, and another promise? Because we don't even manage to do the things that we promise ourselves, never mind keep the law of God. And so Paul comes with this idea that we have been held hostage. He says, You've been a captive to the law. Your own inability and your own weakness in trying to live God's way has held you hostage. It has condemned you and kept you in a place of condemnation. It has robbed you of your confidence and it keeps you from living the God kind of life. The law has been your your prison warden that has kept you under lock and key, kept you from from living the life that God has for you. And so so Paul comes out and he says, there is a new way to be right with God. It's this extreme message that has been preached for thousands of years. He was vocal about this idea. So this is what he says. He says, just like a married woman is bound by the law of marriage to her husband as long as he lives, we were bound to the law. We have a responsibility to keep it, it doesn't change. The Lord is relentless. But, he says, if the husband dies, the wife is released from that law. If the husband dies, there's a release that comes from the law, you're no longer held to it. He says this in Romans 6.6, we covered this last week, or or the last time we we discussed Romans. He says in Romans 6.6, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. He says if, if the husband dies, the wife is released from the law. Likewise, just as we were put to death with Christ, we have been released from the law. We know that our old self was crucified. Colossians 2.14 says that what Jesus did in dying on the cross for us, it says, he wiped out the handwriting of the requirements which was against us. The debt that we owed to the law that kept us from going free. It's not like you can go to F&B or go to your bank and just say, hey, you know, my home loan, I know I owe like a lot of money, but can you just kind of wipe it out and I'll leave? They're like, no, if you don't pay, we'll put you in jail. Right? And you won't be released from jail until you've paid every last cent. The law is relentless. It's not gonna let you off. But what Jesus did in dying for our sins is that he wiped out the debt that we owed. Our indebtedness was canceled and he's taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Everything that we owed, we've been released. So when Jesus died, we died with him. That's such an important thing to understand. You were on that cross with Jesus. It's as good as if you had gone to the cross yourself. He didn't just die for us, he died as us. When Jesus was crucified, we were crucified with him and we died with him. So he says, likewise, you have died to the law through Christ, you're dead to the law. You are dead to the law. I'm not saying this, the Bible is saying this. Why do we need to be dead to the law? So that we can belong to another. So that we can get remarried, so that we can get married to Jesus, who was raised from the dead, the scripture says. In other words, he is a real living person, not a dead letter with a bunch of requirements written on them. God doesn't want us to live the kind of life and to have the kind of religion and the kind of faith that depends on a dead letter that is only going to arouse sin within you and cause you to experience condemnation. He's saying, I want you to be dead to the law so that you can be alive to Christ so that you can be united to him by faith, so that you can experience the power of the Holy Spirit, so that you can walk in love with this real living person who has raised you to life as he was raised from the dead so that you can be led by him in a real living life-giving relationship that guides your path. Come on, God doesn't want a dead rubber religion. He doesn't want us to check things off a to-do list. He wants to be involved with you, your heart, your life, your hopes, your dreams, your future, His presence, His grace. Please don't live according to the law. Live according to the Spirit of God. Please don't follow God under a sense of condemnation and quiet judgment. Constant guilt and constant failure. You'll have no confidence before him. Live according to the grace of God, the presence of God, the love of God, the complete work of the cross. This is the difference between religion and a genuine relationship. So you have died to the law. Why have you died to the law? So that you can be united with another. So that you can be united with Christ. You cannot be united with Jesus while committing adultery with the law. You can't do it. For us to mix the two is for us to to be unfaithful to God. This is what God is trying to tell us. And in many other places in scripture, it says, let it either be of grace. If it is of grace, let it be of grace. But if it is of works, then let it be totally of works. In other words, the gospel is all or nothing. Either Jesus saves you or you save yourself, but you cannot mix law and grace. You cannot have a combo of the two saving you because it ultimately results in you saving yourself and not putting your full trust in Jesus. Because we have died to the law, we belong to another, to Jesus. He's alive. And what this produces, why does it say that? In that scripture we just read in Romans seven, one to six, why do we need to be united with Christ? What is the result of being united with Christ? Is that we are able to produce fruit for God. It produces something in your life that the law could never produce. The law, and Paul says this, only arouses sin which leads to death. But being united with Christ produces true fruit Genuine fruit. And as Christians, that's what we want. I would rather have you be honest about your journey. And you know, when, when I don't know if any of you have ever tried as kids perhaps to start a vegetable garden, and you compare your vegetables to what you can get at Woolies, and it's futile. I mean, it's these little tomatoes that look all shrunken, whatever. But at least it's your fruit. At least it's genuine. I would rather have you come here and be honest about your little tomatoes then pretend like you've got it all figured out and that you're living according to the law perfectly. Because all that is is fake fruit. Have you ever seen fake fruit in a bowl? Do people still keep fake fruit in their houses? <laughs> fruit that just always looks so crisp and so good, but has no nutritional value. It has no life-giving properties. It doesn't help anyone except to look good and to deceive. And that's how people come to church and say, well, I know that I'm failing at the law, but, in, but I know that I'm supposed to have fruit, so I will pretend to have great fruit until somebody tastes of your life and they recognize this isn't even real. This isn't even real. God wants us to have authentic fruit. So he says, please stop living according to the law. You are saved from the law. You are released from the law. Let the spirit of God get involved with your life and let it start producing genuine authentic fruit that people around you will taste of and say, this is real. This is real. That's how people should experience us as Christians not as judgmental, not as self-righteous, not as as people who who put up a great front as if we've got it all together and, and, and we judge people from a dizzy height, but as people who are genuine. People should look at you and go, there's something genuine about this person. Something genuine about what God has done in their lives. He says, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law And they were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That's the kind of fruit that the law produces. It actually stirs up sin within us. So telling a sinful person to not sin is to make them sin more, okay? Does it make sense? If I tell a sinful person to not sin, if every Sunday I just focused on telling you everything that you should not be doing, what I would ultimately be doing is making you sin even more. I'd be turning you into a greater sinner. That's what the scripture says, it arouses sin. The commandment arouses sin. Imagine this morning, I mean, let's just take this speaker hanging up here in the the sky for a moment, right? Have any of you today had a thought about stealing that speaker? (laughs) Just put up your hand, we've got security on hand. Just quickly. (laughs) Have any of you even thought about climbing up there and taking that thing for yourself, loading it in the boot of your car and driving off? Any of you had that thought? No, but now that I've said it, (laughs) right? And what if I told you, you know what, this speaker, if you took this speaker, God is gonna be so mad at you. You know what, he might outright reject you if you take that speaker. He would never speak to you again. His spirit would depart from you. He wouldn't wanna talk to you. You wouldn't be his child. If you take that speaker, God God is gonna be so mad. The worst thing that you could possibly do this speaker he's fine with you could take this one he has no issue with you taking the speaker you can take it any day god will still love you but take that speaker and god is going to be out to get you i don't know about you but the sin within me says i'm taking that speaker i didn't i didn't want to but now i want to you see when the commandment comes sin revives and i die because of it it stirs up my inner rebellion. We have that rebellion within us. I am a sinner, sold under slavery to sin, and it is aroused the moment somebody tells me what I'm not supposed to do. Especially if they add a nice fat warning label to it, saying God is gonna get you or God is gonna be mad. Okay, fine, I'll take it. But before that moment, how many of you thought about taking that speaker? How many of you feel, even right now, that you're struggling to concentrate on anything else that I'm saying, Because you are making plans to climb up there and to take it. Hey, well, can we just watch that speaker after the service? So people think that the law makes us better. No, it makes us worse. Scripturally, biblically, it makes you worse. So Paul says, you are released from the law. You are released from the law. If you want to be free from sin, you have to be dead to the law. You have to understand that concept. So instead, you can have this legitimate relationship with Jesus. This is what God wants us to know and it's what he wants us to experience. You cannot have a relationship with someone, especially with God, if you constantly feel guilty in their presence you constantly feel guilty, you just, you can't do that. You won't have a good relationship. So he says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we can serve in a new way, the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. This new way to serve God is is as we are led by the Spirit. And I've often thought about this as like dancing, okay? It's like, I, I don't really dance in public ever um, unless I feel super confident that night and the anointing is on me and I'm ready to go. But um, but it, those moments are few and far between. But can you imagine how bad it would be if somebody said, you know what, if you're gonna dance, if you're struggling with, with the music and the rhythm and everything, you know what, here's, here's a set of instructions to dance to. Here's a, a, a like a, a plan with steps that you can take. So it's like you know. So the music's playing. You're like, okay, one step forward, one. Step. It's like basically every wedding dance ever. You know, it's just like that's why wedding dances is so bad. But it's like step forward, step back, go to the left, go to the right. Imagine trying to dance while reading off of a list of instructions. It would be horrible. To truly dance, you just get moved from something much deeper within you than a set of instructions. There's a rhythm, there's a, there's a life, there's, there's, there's a, a, a movement, there's a motivation, there's an inspiration to be moved. And that's ultimately the difference between trying to live according to the law and trying to live according to God's grace. One is just a set of instructions that is gonna be awkward for you to live by and you're just gonna mess up the steps. The other one is you forgetting about all instructions and just allowing yourself to be moved by the Spirit. And that's ultimately what this gospel thing is about. That's what it says. It says, God is involved. Now, some of you go, that's dangerous. How dangerous is that? That we can can just say, well, I don't need the instructions. I just need God to lead me. But do you trust that God is genuinely involved in your life? Do you trust that you are his sheep, that you are his child, and that he is the great shepherd, that he is the great father, and that he will guide your steps, that he will direct your heart? You see, there are stuff that I know as a Christian I am free to do, but I don't do because I don't have any desire to do them. I want to live the way that God has called me to live. You see, when God is involved in your life, you will begin to follow the law or the heart of the law without even knowing that you're following it. It's gonna be more genuine and more true and you're gonna obey God from an authentic place. People think that the law is bad, oftentimes when you share messages like this, but actually we are the ones who are bad. That's the real problem here. It's not that the law is bad. It's not that God's instructions are bad. They're good, they're holy, they're right, they're true, but we are the ones that do not have the ability to fulfill them. Romans 7, verse 14 to 20, my last verse for the morning, it says this. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. I just love how real Paul is in this verse and I, and I have read this so many times and be been like, this is, this is me, this Is my life, right? For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I have the desire, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. In other words, what he is saying here is that we can believe with all of our hearts that what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And we can, can commit with every fiber of our beings to doing what's right and to not doing what's wrong. But the moment we actually try to live according to those, those hard lines and those statutes, what we find is that we are actually sinners, Beyond what we agree is good, we all go out and do the opposite. You know what's ironic? Is that oftentimes people judge others only to be doing the same thing in another context. That they're actually doing the very thing that they say is so bad. And so the Bible actually says in Romans, that's how guilty you are. You judge others for the same thing that you do. So you have no excuse because you're clearly showing that you understand that it's wrong. But then why do you do it? Like people who judge others for judging. (laughs) You're judging them for judging. That's what we do. We've always got something to say. But yet we're as guilty as anyone. And so we understand that even though we may agree with God's law, we're sinners, sold into slavery to sin. So people think that freedom means to be able to do whatever you want. Oftentimes they go, well, that's a free, I can do whatever I want because I'm free. They think that freedom from the law even means, okay, so I can just go and do whatever I want. It's the wrong concept of freedom. Genuine freedom is being able to not do what you want. That's the real test. People can boast, hey, I can go out and get drunk every weekend. I can do that because I'm released from the law. Yes, but can you stop getting drunk every weekend if you wanted to? Can you genuinely stop? Can you stop having sex with people you're not married to? Can you stop getting angry and losing your temper in a moment? Can you stop gossiping about things that you have heard? Because if you cannot, then you are not truly free. And then you need to come to a greater understanding of what God's grace has accomplished in your life. Freedom isn't being able to just go and do what you want. It's being able to stop doing what you want. And Paul's just having this very honest moment here and I I love it. He's like, when it's up to me, I'm a complete contradiction. I keep doing things that I agree with in my own heart isn't right. I keep overstepping my, my own standards, never mind God's standards. And Paul is like, he's just coming to this place where he's like, you can all pretend like you've got it figured out, but I need help. You can keep coming to church and painting on your pretty faces and pretending like everything's okay, but I'm telling you, I need help. That's what he's doing here in Romans 7. He says, sin dwells in me and I'm not gonna overcome it through a to-do list or a self-help manifesto. Brennan Manning, the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel, he said this, he says, when I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. When we get honest, we recognize that there is a dichotomy of self that exists within us. That we both agree with God's law and are committed to wanting everything that God has for us. And yet sinners that struggle to walk away from things that we should walk away from. I'm not gonna ask you to put up your hands, but anybody relate to this this morning? Come on, we we, we walk away knowing that there's still this tension between us, two, two natures. And so Paul ends Romans 7 by saying, in our minds, we may agree that the law is good, but our flesh serves sin, the law of sin. He ends it in Romans 7, verse 24 to 25, saying, wretched man that I am just a recognition of my helplessness. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Even though we agree with God's law, we don't have the ability to fulfill it. In fact, the law just continues to arouse the sinfulness that is present within us. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. We give glory to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the answer to us being released from the law, being released from condemnation. Condemnation will kill your walk with God. It is what gives us the ability to obey and honor God in every area of our lives, is knowing that we have been set free from this body of death, from the sin that dwelt within us, that grace reigns over sin, and that we are dead to the law. Being dead to the law means being alive to Jesus. It means being released from one in order to be united with the other. It means living our lives no longer according to written codes, but according to the deep inner working of God's ever-present spirit. In the next chapter, it goes on to say, and we'll look at this next week, but in Romans 8, it says that those who are the children of God are led by the spirit of God. Do you have faith for that this morning? to know that you are not going to be lost, that you don't need a written code to regulate your behavior, because the Spirit of God has made you a new creation, lives within you, and guides every step you take. How about the next time we face temptation? We look to Jesus. How about we begin to believe that we are truly dead to sin? How about we begin to understand that we are no longer under condemnation, but we are children of God, and that he has given us the ability to walk away from things that we should walk away from. This is the new way. So I wanna let you know this morning that we are released from the law as a means of being right with God, as a means to staying right with God, and that you've been declared the righteousness of God, that God's spirit therefore dwells within you and empowers you to fulfill every single thing that God is calling you to fulfill. We become better people, better Christians, more humble, more honest, more faithful in every single way because of the presence of God's spirit and God's grace in our lives. Amen? You believe that this morning? I hope so. Let's go ahead and and, and pray together.